All right, Nick. So, um, you know, I feel like as I'm getting to the end of my fellowship, I still feel like I need to go back and remind myself about all of the general OBGYN topics as well as some primary care stuff. So how do I do that? Yeah. You know, our friends at the OBG Project actually have a new sister website that's come out called the PC Med Project or the Primary Care Med Project um, that focuses in on a lot of things from medicine that we may have forgotten and probably that our family medicine and internal medicine listeners completely remember, but they just need a better resource to be able to get those bullet-pointed summaries. Yeah, as I'm looking through this website, I see a ton of great information. It looks like they've also broken this down into specialty areas, so not just your normal alerts and things like that, but also looking at review of cancer screening, if you need to like look at some endocrine topics, even some dermatology topics. This is really great for anyone who wants to review some of your basic primary care subjects. So definitely check out the PC Med Project at pcmedproject.com. But if you're an OBGYN resident, remember too that you can get the OBG Project and OBG First as well as that resident core curriculum absolutely free heading to our website at www.creagsovercoffee.com, checking out our sidebar and getting signed up. Hi guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over over coffee. coffee. All right. So today I think we're going to have a pretty short, probably espresso length episode, Um, but it's going to be one that hopefully applies to a lot of your clinical settings. We're going to talk about debriefing effectively in the clinical environment. So Faye, what are our learning objectives ultimately today? Yeah, so first we're going to define what a debrief is and the difference between hot versus cold debriefs. We're then going to identify appropriate triggers for debriefing, so when should we debrief? And then lastly, we're going to become familiar with a general debriefing structure as well as some common tools to facilitate debriefs. So let's start off with the uh, first question, Nick, which is what is a debrief? Yeah, so these, I think many of us kind of understand the idea of a debrief or what exactly it is, but if we formally define it, it's really a conversation involving frontline workers taking part in a patient's care um, that occurs shortly after some critical event takes place. And, you know, we use debriefs for a lot of different reasons or we get a lot of things out of them, I guess we should say. You know, you might individually get some knowledge or some additional skill that comes from it. Um, From a systems perspective, you know, the debrief hopefully describes some threats to patient or worker safety um, or threats to team dynamics that might be posed by the system. Um, And then finally, it can be therapeutic too, you know, it can provide some closure to all individuals that might be affected in a clinical situation. Um, We don't want to confuse a debrief, though, for a root cause analysis as another sort of patient safety word. Mm -hmm. Um, No, a debrief really is not meant to try and dive immediately into understanding all of the causes of why an event may have occurred, but it may represent the first step towards performing that that root cause analysis. And then finally, you know, a debrief really should be seen in education as kind of a cornerstone piece, particularly for clinical education and simulation-based education. This is a good structure to be able, again, to provide learning um, and immediate feedback. So 
know, one of the first questions, I guess, Faye, is when sh- exactly should a debrief occur? Yeah. So first of all, it's important to kind of say, hey, these are the certain triggers that are going to uh, lead us to do a debrief. Um, And so they can be identified as a best practice to set expectations among staff when they should occur and how frequently. Um, This will also increase the frequency of debriefs and then also promote system-wide goals. So in OBGYN, there's not really a standard list of what should generate a debrief for, you know, every single health system out there. But you might imagine that there's a few major events where we commonly think of as emergencies that could then trigger a debrief. So these would be things like potentially a shoulder dystocia or a difficult extraction at a C-section, if there's significant postpartum or surgical hemorrhage events, um, unexpected newborn complications, unexpected surgical complications, or unexpected intraop findings, or if there's patient injury or serious complication, unanticipated ICU admission, or death. And many of these events may be defined locally. And if you don't have a list defined at your institution, it might be worth asking about and starting one. So that might be a really good like resident quality improvement project for Mm -hmm. those of you out there looking for one. And in general, it's good practice to also have a staff member request as a trigger for considering a debriefing to empower any person on the team, whether that is someone who is the scrub tech, whether it's the nurse, whether it's the resident fellow attending, anyone on the team to review events that may be unusual or uncomfortable. The best practice has identified that the hot debrief, which is when it's shortly after the event, is helpful to staff immediately involved and provides opportunity to get a clear clinical picture. And a cold debrief, which is one that is done much later, will allow for more data to be collected, but worsens recall of participants and also removes some of the other advantages that a hot debrief may enable. So for example, um, finding time for staff to attend or identifying learning points immediately after the event. A cold debrief can certainly be performed later on. In some institutions, this is performed through the M&M process, um, which, you know, likely all residents are familiar with. So let's dive into that a little bit more, um, Nick. So when should a quote-unquote hot debrief be done? Yeah. So, you know, when we do a hot debrief, you can kind of think of it in three general stages. There's preparation, there's the delivery of the debrief, and then there's a post-debrief. When you're preparing to do a debrief is sort of this first stage, all staff needs to be invited if a debrief is either requested or triggered. And a time and location should be identified. Ideally, no, this should happen soon after the event occurs. And also ideally, if your institution or system can allow for it, identifying a spot where debriefs happen is also a great idea. A facilitator should be named, and then a second person can kind of serve as a scribe for documentation, which we're going to talk more on documentation of debriefing later. Um, But this facilitator should be a designated person, and specifically in circumstances of debriefs, that facilitator should ideally not be the team leader or someone who is heavily involved in the events. No. Our shop, Faye at UW, this is often our charge nurse or another senior nurse who will serve to facilitate. Um, Someone who has enough knowledge and wherewithal to provide a good facilitation strategy, um, but not usually someone who's immediately involved in the patient's care. Right. Um, This really is important because it helps to eliminate any issues of hierarchy or power. Um, If you have a attending physician who is running the debrief that kind of like 
did everything involved in that patient's care, there can be a lot of feelings and charged sense, and it may also not encourage folks to speak up about things that they saw. Um, and so really, we want to eliminate that and encourage all voices to be able to speak up if there's a concern, particularly for a safety issue. Other things to allow for an optimal debrief should also be addressed in this preparation phase. So, you know, we want to be able, for instance, to find a short time period to allow for cross coverage by other personnel, for instance. So, you know, if it means like calling on another resident to come watch the floor for 10 to 15 minutes or getting a nurse to cover a patient for that 10 to 15 minutes, um, you want to be able to do those things to, again, really provide an optimal environment and allow all who need to attend the space and time to be able to attend. Let's actually get into the meat of the debrief now, Faye. How exactly is this done? Yeah, so this is going to be the delivery portion of the debrief. So what should happen is the facilitator should set expectations at the start. So we should aim for brevity of a debrief. So five to 10, mi- ten minutes is usually ideal. Um, we try not to make it so that the debrief session is going to be like an hour or two hours long. We're going to establish psychological safety. So the reason for the debrief, again, is not to blame or punish people, but to really review and characterize the event. We then should invite the team leader to provide a summary of the case, and the facilitator should encourage the team leader to provide an objective case overview at this point. The focus should be on the actions that occurred, um, and then also provide reassurance that the next step of the debrief will be to focus on reflection and judgments. And then after the event summary, the facilitator should then start conversation according to a specific structure to review the event. So many possible structures are out there, but broadly they will fall into, you know, first review things that went well, then review opportunities to improve, and then finally identify points for action and take home learning points. And your institution is likely going to have a debrief form that helps to guide these conversations. Um, But some of the more significant ones uh, will kind of describe a little bit more. So one of them is TALK, which um, stands for Target Analysis Learning Points Key Actions. There's INFO, which is immediate, not for personal assessment, um, fast facilitated feedback, and opportunity to ask questions. Then there's also STOP5, which stands for Summarize, Things That Went Well, Opportunities to Improve, Points to Action, and Responsibilities. Um, And then there's also seven-step after-action review, which is a USA Army tool that has been adapted to QI, and many, many more exist. But these are just some things to kind of kick off the conversation um, and to consider if your institution does not have uh, a way to facilitate debriefs. All right, Nick, so let's say we get to, you know, the end of the debrief. What should happen after we debrief? Yeah, so... In this sort of post-debrief phase, your facilitator and scribe should talk with the whole team to review the action points that are recorded. Um, And if appropriate, you can actually assign action items to specific individuals for follow-up. Again, oftentimes this is a point where, you know, if your charge nurse is a facilitator, for instance, and there's a question about a policy that's in place, they can say, all right, I'm going to take this up the nursing chain of command to review the policy that's in place. If there's something that is a physician point of practice or a question in the way that we practice, a physician or resident involved in the case can be, say, I will bring this back to the team at some point in the future to review. Again, just assigning those action items is a really nice way of, again, getting closure for the events that occurred. 
Documentation should be completed in the post-debrief phase. Again, most hospitals have formal debriefing form processes. Faye went through a bunch of some of the structures above that often have formal documents attached to them, and we'll link to those on our website. Um, these forms are present in hospitals for purposes of QI reviews, and sometimes they may even be incorporated into your patient safety reporting system, your PSN system, if you will. Um, Medica legally debrief processes and forms fortunately are frequently considered protected information in the realm of quality and safety, so are non-discoverable pieces of information from a legal perspective. Your legal department can certainly ensure all pieces are structured to meet the standard necessary from a debriefing perspective. And I know kind of, Faye, we mentioned sort of at the middle of this podcast or partway through this podcast, the kind of realm of quality improvement projects, it, instituting things surrounding triggers for debrief or processes for debrief are really great projects, I think, from a from a resident or fellow QI perspective. Yeah. Um, and we'll have some additional links on our website from AHRQ as well as an article from Contemporary OBGYN kind of describing some of the processes that have happened at other hospitals or places. Uh, all right, Faye. Well, I know today was a super short, brief episode on debriefing, but I hope that folks find it helpful and effective. Um, so once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoffee one on Instagram and Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, or if you love the show, head over to patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee, send us some love and we'll send you some swag. You can find show notes for this show as well as all of our other episodes, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, www.CreogsOverCoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this or any of our prior episodes, or just want to say hello, email us, CreogsOverCoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>